You guys doing well? Fantastic. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Dan, and my wife Hannah and I get to pastor this incredible church, and uh, we love having you here. We absolutely wholeheartedly believe Jesus loves you. He has a purpose for your life. And that's everything we do about today. Everything we, the reason we're here and uh, the reason we love having you here is we're convinced of that. We are convinced that God is real. He's not angry. He's not annoyed. He loves you. He loves you. And there's something unique about you. There is something unique on your life. God has a unique purpose for your life. That's why there's no other you in this entire universe. And so we love having you here. We hopefully uh, hope and pray today that you would not be... Um, at all talked into believing that God is real and he loves you. We pray you experience that. If I can talk you into it, someone can talk you out of it. But when you get it and you know it, it's like, no one can talk me out of that. There's a real God and he really loves me. And so uh, the three focuses we've been having for this year, and uh, I've been saying it often, so our church is hopefully getting sick of it. I want to drum it into our heads. We were looking at what is discipleship this year. And for us, that's three things. We want to grow in Christ. Amen. That's our knowledge of who He is. That's our awareness of Him. That's as uh, Philippians 3, Paul says, I count everything as rubbish just compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I don't know about Jesus. I want to know Him. That's what it means for us to grow in Christ. I want to get to know Jesus more. And when I get to know Him more, I want to get to know who I am in Him. Because the Bible says I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. And so what does that mean now that I'm growing in Christ? I want to grow in my new identity in Christ. And then we want to love the lost. We want to enjoy life together. And so we've been going through, this is actually our last week on our I Am series out of the book, uh, Gospel of John. You're going to read seven encounters where Jesus says an I Am and reveals who he is. It's a new aspect of who he is. And Pastor Graham had such a great call last week where every time he reveals an, an I Am, he reveals who he is. He follows it up with an action point for you and I to take, to experience that. And so when he says, I am the true vine today, he says, remain in me. He says, follow me. He says, come to me. He says, abide in me. There's these things that he says after an I am. I am the door. If you, know, you can only enter through me. There's an action point for us to encounter that I am. And if you've been here for a few years, you would know that John 15 is potentially my favorite passage in the entire Bible. I love it. For someone who has been raised in church and, and studied and, and you know, been a leader here for a long time, I want to keep saying those words to myself, apart from me, you can do nothing. Because if I'm really transparent with you guys, I think the lure for all of us is to do a whole bunch without God and just bring him in when we're broken down on the side of the road and two tires are popped and he comes and fixes the car and we're like, sweet, I got it from here. So I need to keep saying to myself, apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And so as much as I wanted to um, preach through this passage today and just stay there, I, I felt like it would just be kind of uh, echoing some things I've said a whole bunch of times. And this passage is beautiful. It says only Jesus can produce joy. If you read about it, he's all about John 15. He's, he came to give us joy. He came to give us fruit. He came to give us life. He came to take things out of our world that aren't any good for us. And he prunes those so you can produce more fruit. It's a beautiful thing, but... If I'm honest, I want to uh, hit this topic from a different angle today, that I am the true vine. And something I've been feeling lately is that when I chat to a lot of people, um, I, I'm, I'm encountering it a bit. It's not frustrating me, but it's something that I think we need to readdress because we can forget it so often. And what, what I want to focus on today is, as opposed to um, 
focusing on the joy and the love and the fruit and the pruning. I just want us to get to know and be reminded of who is the vine today. I, I, I refuse to believe that any branch, if it had cognitive ability, would go, I need to push out leaves and push out fruit. I think a branch is just like, vine, give me water. <laughs> give me water. Vine, just give me water. And then all these things naturally happen in its world. Amen. And I think for you and I, sometimes we're like, God, God, produce fruit through me. God, what's my calling? God, help me love my neighbor more. And we're focusing on the fruit and the outcome instead of just falling more in love with the vine. And so today, it's a simple, simple message, but profound. If, if we have to get this, I want to really uh, reflect and tie it in and base out of one verse, John chapter 10, verse 10. We went through it a couple of weeks ago. But if you're taking notes, write down John chapter 10, verse 10. It simply says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is speaking about Satan. But I, Jesus Christ, have come to give life and life more abundantly. I've put it up there in the NLT. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so they can have real and eternal, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That might actually be the message version, but that's what I want us to go at today. There's two points I've got today, two things that I want us to be reminded of. And, and I say this every now and again because it is such a big thing in my heart. Please come with me today. Please come with me. What, what my goal is today is for you to leave with a bigger God. I want you to have a bigger God in your world. So I'm going to speak about that. But something else that's happening a lot lately that I feel we might be forgetting about is awareness of Satan's work and attack in our world. Sometimes we can overdo what Satan can do. Sometimes we overdo the demonic attack. Like, oh man, I went to the shops and there wasn't a car park anywhere. That devil is a liar. It's like, okay, well, it's, it's probably not Satan, you know, doing those things. But I'm seeing things happening in people's worlds right now and they're not even thinking that there is a real demonic attack. Satan hates you. And his one goal is to rip you away from relationship with Jesus, bring division into your marriage, bring division into your relationship with church. He's really there. And so I have two goals today. One is to speak about the great attack from Satan. And one is to speak about the great life that Jesus wants to give us. Is that cool? Fantastic. Jemima and Jenna are up there. I actually emailed to Kel in the wrong order. I've got greatest of life and then greatness of attack. So we're just going to flip those ahead. And that's going to be all. The slides are in. Kel's done an amazing job. It's all over. Speaking of Kel and Quinny getting married in like two weeks. Come on now. Hello. <laughs> Quentin's been working on that honeymoon bod, haven't you, mate? The other week we did sit-down dinners. He ate five hot dogs and he took four home. That's my boy. And so uh, life abundantly. That's what we're speaking on today, buddy. Just more of me to love, Kill. <laughs> I, I get concerned when I chat to someone, and you can hear sub, subconsciously in their um, thinking, and we could even say subconsciously in their theology, is this amazing uh, comparison that shouldn't be a comparison. That people actually put it on the same level. People put it on the same situation, if you will. And that is between God and Satan. I get concerned when people put it on the exact same level. And we view it as like a, a WWE boxing match or some, you know, some kind of wrestling thing where it's like, 
in the red corner, Satan, 45 kilos, used to be a musician, ex-musician, fired from his job, coming out right now. We have the demonic overlord, darkness prince, the devil. Yeah, boo. And in the blue corner, weighing infinity and with infinity skill set and holding the world in his hands, we have Yahweh. Ah! And we're like, it's kind of a grudge match. Oh, sometimes Satan gets the upper hand. And then sometimes God will get him back and do amazing things there. And we need to be aware of what's going on in this thing right now. Sometimes in our Christian journey, because we watch movies and we read books, we think these two enemies are an equal and opposite thing. You with me? If we're not engaging in, in Scripture enough and a correct theology, because of our, 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 our understanding of opposites, we go light, darkness, up, down, on, off, God, Satan. And today, I need us to break that. God has no equal. You, you need to get that. There is nothing slightly equal with God. If, any, if Satan has an equal, it would be Michael or a Gabriel, other archangels that were created and didn't fall. God has no equal. Satan was created by God, Lucifer. He was an angel in heaven until sin entered his heart. And so I'm not going to go too deep into this because I don't want to mess with your mind, but you have to get this thought God allowed Satan to remain in existence after he fell out of heaven. He is in control. He knows what he is doing. He is using Satan for his plan, for his purpose, for his glory. Satan is a defeated foe. You get that? And you need to get it. Defeated, number one, he cannot beat you. Unless you let him, unless you walk away from the vine, unless you stop abiding in Jesus, he cannot defeat you when you are in Jesus Christ. Absolutely, 100% impossible. But he is a foe. He hates you. He hates God. And so the one way that he can get to an uncreated God, you know, you know where I'm going, is to attack his kids. Come on now, if there's someone way stronger than incredible, but the only way you could hurt someone significantly stronger than you is just go after their kids. That, that'll hurt them more than any punch or any attack on that person. Satan hates God, so the way he gets to God is attacking you. And so the two things I'm seeing right now and encountering through chats and through just things going on in people's worlds is one, I don't think God is big enough in our world. And number two, I don't think we're aware enough of Satan's schemes. When it says in Ephesians 6, take up the shield of faith so you can quench the fiery darts of the enemy. But when you don't see or think that fiery darts are coming, you're doing this. Right? So the greatness of the attack. I think they're got them there, mate. Satan hates you and he will attack you. You need to expect this, church. You need to expect that the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. And where they're going, how good's Jesus? How good's church? Church is awesome. And we're not thinking that satanic attack is happening in your marriage, in your mental health, in your giving, in your serving, in your relationship to the body of Christ. Satan hates what you're doing. Do you get that? 
The reason this is so big to me, if you don't get that, then you're not going to fight the right battle. Ephesians 6 says, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness. If you are not thinking that way, then you are going to attack your boss, your husband, your wife, your kids are the enemy, your neighbor is the enemy. That person in council not approving your plan is suddenly the enemy. And all these enemies are popping up in your world because you're not thinking maybe there's a demonic attack going on here that I should be engaging in. This is why we're given the armor of Christ. Every single part of the armor of Christ is a spiritual piece of armor. You do not physically get a shield and helmet when you sign up to Jesus Christ. Amen. We've got a store cupboard outside, and as soon as you give your life to Jesus, we're going to give you your armor. Please wear it at all times. Wash it sporadically, because that sweat smell is the smell of victory. Well, you don't get physical armor. It's a spiritual armor for a spiritual battle. Amen. Sometimes we don't think that way. We're like, oh, Flippin' husband, he's such a goose. Oh, my wife, oh my goodness, she is grinding my gears. Oh, man, I wanted to give, I wanted to give the genuine love, but seriously, our fin- we just got smashed in our finance. Our health has been so bad lately. I was going to start serving, but man, my health is getting knocked around. We, we, we started a business, and as soon as the business gets off the ground, is going well, then we'll be back at church and giving it. All of a sudden, we thought, you know, this was our trajectory, but it's just staying here. I don't know what's going on, but it's not. And nothing's happening. Nothing's working. You didn't expect this? Hey, I love you guys, but a lot of you guys have been in church a while. You didn't expect this? You didn't expect to fight? You just expect everything to be handed to you? Oh, you don't have to fight. You don't have to go to prayer meetings. You never have to fast. You never have to love your spouse. You never have to do a marriage course. Why do you have to do a marriage course? You never have to go to a parenting seminar to learn how to raise godly kids. Like, surely your kids will just stay in church and your spouse will love you for the rest of your life and your finances will only increase and increase and you'll never be sick a day in your life. That's a theology I don't subscribe to. A fight is coming. A fight is here. And unless we're thinking that way, we're not engaging in it. Rhetorical question. When was the last time you rebuked Satan off your life? You don't have to answer out loud. So I just want that to be a light bulb moment for some people. Oh, yeah, I thought it was this. I thought this was, I thought it was this. No, no, no. There's a real devil. He really hates you. He really wants to attack you. He loves it when you don't think he exists. He loves it when you never think about him. And suddenly all the pain in your world, when you're trying to blame someone else, you're fighting with people in church, your spouse, you're fighting once again with your boss or your neighbor. He loves that. He's not going to come to you like just appear and be like, hello, I'm here to bring torture to your world. Like he's not going to do that. He's going to put thoughts in your head. Yes, he's from Transylvania. Of course, he has to be. Satan is count. I don't know why, of. Off Sesame Street, but that's the way it is. Demonic. So the moral of today is don't watch Sesame Street. All right, guys? And, all right, can we get the keys up? He's not going to appear. Pastor Chris White speaks about this. In Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted, it is more likely than not he didn't actually appear. He didn't actually appear. He doesn't say that clearly, but more often than likely than not, he didn't just appear and go, hey, you're hungry? Do you want to make this, these stones into bread? Like, that, that's an easy no. Like, if you're with me, if Satan actually appeared and said something, it's easy to go, no, I'm not going to listen to you. So what he does is put thoughts in your head. You with me? 
thoughts are going to chew at you, grind you constantly. These thoughts are happening here. That is why we have to take every thought captive and line it up against the Word of God. Because these thoughts that someone in church doesn't like you anymore, these thoughts that God doesn't love you anymore, He's not speaking to you clearly anymore, these thoughts, maybe I married the wrong person, maybe someone out there is actually the one for me. There is no such, I might be bursting some bubbles right now, I don't mind. There is no such thing as the one. There is no such thing as a soulmate. Do you know who the one is or a soulmate is? The person you say, I do to, and you commit your life to. That's it. They're your soulmate right now. They are the one. And you know what? The grass is always greener over there. And then when you get there, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm still here. And all of the things I bring to the table are still here. I thought this new relationship would bring me joy finally. And it's not. And the same fight's going on. And the same things are happening. Because you're not dealing with what's going on up here or in here. You don't wage war correctly. You're waging war against people. Someone else is always to blame, and I'm not to blame. And then you go, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave that marriage. I'm going to leave that workplace. I'm going to go over here, and you're still there. Because you're not seeing. This is a demonic attack. It's a demonic attack. I need to pray in spirit. I need to pray for my kids. I need to pray for my wife or my, for my husband. I need to pray for my boss. I need to pray for that workmate. I need to pray for my neighbor. This is a demonic attack. I started giving and now my finances are getting, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. I started serving on a roster and all of a sudden, man, my mental health's in a tough spot and I'm just always exhausted. I recognize what's going on here. I'm going to fight properly. Thief comes to steal from you. He's not going to add to you. He wants to steal joy, peace, love, patience, kindness. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy but God comes. We need a greater picture of God. If you know me, you know I could preach on this for a week. Oh my, we need a greater picture of God. The uncreated, the unequaled. He holds the world in his hands. Several times in scripture, he permits Satan to do things. He's in control, people. Luke 22, I love this one. Oh my goodness, I laugh all the time. Be like, Lord... Help this not happen to me. Jesus is like, hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. And he's like, yeah, Lord. Yeah, Messiah. Yeah, Savior. Love of my life. King Jesus. He's like, so Satan just asked to sift you like wheat. You said no, right? Right? I didn't say no exactly. But the work he's going to do in you is exactly what needs to be done for you in a few weeks to lead my church. And so Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So I have prayed for you, Peter. Little ray of sunshine, chip off the old block. I've prayed for you. But when you've stumbled and when you've come back, can you strengthen the other brothers in the church? You know, all the other church members and things. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. Just rebuke. He came and asked you because he's asking permission. He can only do what he's permitted to do. He has no control. He has no authority. He has no power outside of what you allow. Say no. Jesus is like, but you're going to be such a better you. Don't you hate that? But do you get that? 
do you get that there's a demonic attack in your world because God's sovereign God is allowing it to happen because in it you're going to become something he wants you to be? Why put a freaking tree in the garden? Lord, I know you're omniscient and I'm not. However, if I was invited to the planning meeting pre-time, I think that's an element we could have done without and eternity would have been pretty great. But God is always in control. He always has a plan and he is using Satan to shape you into something he wants you to be. And the reason we need to get that is because it elevates God from on par with Satan and their fighting to now suddenly God's up here. There's three things, going a bit over time, there's three things I want us to get about God. Number one, He's omnipresent. What that means is He is everywhere at once. Satan is not everywhere at once. He has a lot of demons doing a lot of things in a lot of places, but He is not omnipresent. One of my favorite things I used to do when teaching RE at Eleanor Public High School was that how could God be eternal? How could anything have no end, you know, just always exist? This omnipresent God, how could it be everywhere at once? Okay, well, let's just go through this. Let's, let's look at two things you believe in. Even if you don't believe in God, you believe in these two things. Let's look at time. Even if you believe in evolution millions and millions and millions of years ago, I'm fine with that. What happened before the Big Bang? Well, there was a matter forming, and it was dust, and it caused friction to form. Okay, cool. How long was the matter there? What happened before the matter? How could, even if we haven't put language to seconds and minutes and hours, something existed. How could something just start? Like, I, I get that a species or a life could have a start date, but how could time just start? What about the end? What about even if you don't believe in the rapture and you don't believe in God? Okay, cool. Global warming kills us all and there's something, some kind of apocalyptic world. I get that. That's a possibility. Let's say it's a possibility. How long for? Does the world start to cool down and form life again? So even if you don't believe in God, you believe in time that must have always existed and must always exist again. What about space? What about space? I always say to them, okay, fine. Even if this place is massive, we've gone 13.5 billion years out and Hubble has taken a, a photo from 13.5 billion years out. And if you're not sure what that means, that means that light travels around the world seven times in one second. If you travel at that speed for 13.5 billion years, I don't get it yet, but that's where we've taken photos from. What are we going to get to? Oh, we'll come back to ourselves. All right, I get that. So the universe might be sphered, but how big is that circle? What is there, a force field? How thick's the force field? What's on the other side of the force field? Space has to exist for infinity that way and infinity that way. And it's God's way of saying to even an atheist, this is what Romans 1, chapter 18 speaks about, his glory is clearly seen in creation. He's a big God, people. And he is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. The only two authors to try and tackle creation, John and Moses in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. What about before God? He was just there. I can't see anything past him. He was just there. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. But what about before the Word? Don't start me. I've been trying to write this book for like a hundred years now. It took me so long to finish verse 1 because I can't get my head around in the beginning was the Word. just there 
trying to go back, and he's just there. Moses again echoes it in, in Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. He says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What's he saying? You have no freaking start or end or left or right or up or down. You're just God. You need to get that. Because if you're even thinking for a second that, oh, God's abandoned me, how can he? David says, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Get your head around. You can't run away from God. You can stop acknowledging he's there. I'll give you that much. You can stop feeling his presence. You can stop going to church and stop putting worship music on, stop reading your Bible, stop going to prayer meetings, stop going to sozo groups. I get that. You can turn your back on him, but he's still there. It's like you turn around he's just like, no, I'm not talking to you. I'll wait. But he's there. He's omnipresent. He's with you. He's with you at work. He's with you at home. He's with you when, your husband, when you're not getting on with your spouse. He's, he's with you in that tough time when that health report comes in. He's with you. The only difference is, are you acknowledging him? Here's the massive difference. Are you bringing him into your situation? That's the game-changing the game thought. So I'm going to say it again. It's not a matter of whether God's there. Are you bringing him into the situation? That's the difference. Because he wants to help. He wants to be there for you. I love in... Do we have... I just mentioned... Uh, do you have the space slide? Sorry, that verse. Oh, I couldn't remember all of it. So it's out of Isaiah, chapter 40. He's everywhere at once. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Really cool bit for you guys. Remember that no one thought the earth was round until 1492? Christopher Columbus sailed away. Some of you all still don't think the earth's round, but that's a different kettle of fish right there, all right? We're just going to... Just going to move on from that whole thing and NASA's the devil. Okay. But here in 1500 BC, 1000 BC, sorry, 1000 BC, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That's pretty cool. It's people like grasshoppers. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all this? He will bring out the starry host one by one, calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Your God is big. Your God is bigger than you think right now. I can guarantee you, even if you have a big God right now, he's bigger. Because our finite minds can't comprehend an infinite God. Moving on for time's sake. He's omnipresent. I think the next one, omniscient. You ever heard of that word? Omnipresent, omniscient. He's all-knowing. There's nothing he doesn't know. Romans 11, 33 to 35, I think that's the one, 36. Oh, the, the depth and the riches of wisdom and knowledge of our God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? How good is that statement? Who has known his mind? Who has given him advice? I know I've tried to. You might be with me. Jehovah, Yahweh. Don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing right now, but you're actually doing a horrible job at making my plan come to pass. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Your God is all-knowing. 
Your God is all-knowing. Your God is all-knowing. Your God is he's all-knowing. He knows what's happening. He, he, he knows what's going on in your world right now. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows what's going on in your family. He knows what, all your fears, all your concerns, everything that annoys you and ticks you up. He knows. He's with you. Amen? Bigger God. Bigger God. I'll finish with this. Sorry for time's sake. I had to rush these last two bits, but he's omnipotent. All powerful. Once again, back in Isaiah 40, who will you compare me? Who, who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to heaven. Who created all these? Once again, if you've walked in here sub unconsciously just having like a God versus Satan, they're, they're enemies. They don't like each other and they have fights. It's like Rocky and Creed. It, you know what I mean? It's like, it's going to be a tough one. One will get one up and the other will get the other up. But you know, it's a, it's a classic match of the ages. It's just not true they're not equals the God in your heart your God is unequaled your God is unequaled your God is unequaled there is no one like him nothing like him in this world he's not a force He's not a myth. He's not a religion. He's not a belief. He's an uncreated God who knows you. Just blows me away. There's no other you in this world. That will forever blow me away. No one else has your DNA, your fingerprint, your voice pattern. You're you. You're you. And he knows you. And he knows everything. And he's in control. But I feel a certain grief when a marriage is in a tough spot. I feel a certain grief when a kid raised in church doesn't want to come anymore. I feel a certain grief when someone who was in a really good spot goes through a health battle that is just crushing. I feel a certain grief when someone starts a business in faith and then go bankrupt. I feel a certain grief when people face things all the time. And I will not promise you a life where they're not going to happen. And I will not promise you if you just pray enough, serve enough, give enough, you'll avoid all these trials. That's not true. But what I will promise you is when you're in the valley, you want to know the great shepherd's with you. What I promise you is when you're in the fire, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in in Daniel chapter 3, even in the fire, you won't be harmed. You'll go into it, but you won't be really harmed. You, who you are. Yeah, you might lose some money. Yep, you might have a healthy, and uh, be unhealthy for a season, a long season. Yep, you might have a really tough family situation for a while. But God is with you. And that undefeated foe is shouting at you and trying to scare you and trying to do all these lies. That's what he does. God's with you. You're omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, unequaled God is with you. That's what I wanted to do this morning for us to get that and now look back. Remain in me. I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Is that greater to you now? Is that verse more wonderful to you now? It's like, remain in me. Just remain in me. 
I can give endless life. I can help every situation you go through. I'll produce fruit. I'll, I'll prune so you can produce more fruit. I'll produce joy. I'll produce love. Just remain in me.